Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to More Than Amused podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to More Than a Muse. I'm Stani. And I am Sadie, and I am so happy that you are here with us today. I can't believe it's already September. I know. In the mornings now, there's like the slight chill in the air. Or like today as I was getting off work, I was like, oh, it's colder now. Thank goodness. The other day you tweeted like, is that a chill I feel in the air? And I was like, oh my gosh, it totally is in the air. And then I was like, it's in the air in Nashville all the way to Utah. And that made me happier because then it's like the whole country is like We're all slowly getting the chill. And also, I feel like this month is going by so fast, actually. So fast. It's already halfway through September. I know, which is crazy because we just barely finished august that's what it this feels year. like i know yeah i say that about every like year since... but i'm just like time just keeps going by so fast i don't know what's <laughs> happening here i think it's because like 2020 felt slower oh i could see that yeah like i remember 2020 everyone was like okay like march has gone on for 15 years and like every month felt like that for a while yes and so i think since then it's felt even faster even faster totally yeah I am excited to be talking about who we are talking about today, Miss yes. Olivia Newton-John. And so exciting. What an icon. Listen, we've had our conversation about our issues with the movie Grease. <laughs> I was trying to remember what episode that was I on. I couldn't was remember it on either. Our, like, I, think it, I think it was on like our TV tropes one. Yeah, or the movie. Yeah, the movie tropes. Yes. Because, yeah, where tropes, we talked whatever. about like all the different ones. I think it was that. Because wasn't it like the good girl? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I have my personal hangups with the movie Grease. Beyond that, <laughs> beyond what I think the message of the movie is, what an iconic movie. And I remember watching that as a little girl. I love Olivia Newton-John. Actually, my artist project, Daisy, if you're new here, hi, go listen to Daisy on Spotify. D-A-S-I-E, not like the flower. Mm -hmm. Anyways, my very first single I released was a unique arrangement of Hopelessly Devoted to You. And I've always just so heavily identified with the character of Sandy. And I think she plays it just perfectly. I agree. Literally so perfectly. I actually was thinking about your arrangement because obviously like if you're listening, you probably have heard the news that Olivia Newton-John passed away. Yes. Very, very recently. But I listened to the podcast, The Morning Toast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were talking about how everyone on like TikTok and YouTube and Instagram were doing like their own cover of Hopelessly Devoted to You yeah. in like honor uh-huh. of Olivia Newton-John. And Claudia was kind of talking about how it's a little bit weird to do that like you know to be like they passed away so I'm gonna sing their song yeah listen to (laughs) me me. you know and I was like 
you know, Sadie already did it before it was cool. Like we can all go listen to hers and it's not even weird because she did it like I did it a year, a year ago. ago. <laughs> yes. Also, I remember I had somebody send me a message of like, oh my goodness, you should post about your cover. And I was like, you know, it just feels weird to be like, she's dead. What an amazing opportunity to promote my song. Like, I admit, eventually, someone commented of like, you should like do an acoustic cover of this for Olivia Newton-John. And I was like, all right, all right, all right. So I just did me playing it and just said Olivia Newton-John forever or something like that. But Mm -hmm. no, I did not take advantage of her death to promote it maybe as much as I could have. But I don't think I should have, so <laughs> I don't take it back. It was, yeah, it was just kind of funny. Like, it was fun seeing everyone's, like, covers, but at the same time, it was kind of like, we haven't done this with anyone else. else? But, it, I mean, it's such a good song. I know. It's, but then I was like, it's John almost like so if good. when the Queen had passed away, everyone had started doing, like, a rendition of, like, God Save the Queen all over TikTok. You know what I mean? That's it's funny. like, what? Why are we doing this? That. But, yeah. Anyway, I really enjoy your cover of it. So Thank I think you. everyone should go listen. And it's a very subtle cover of it because I mean to be honest I changed the whole melody I changed the whole vibe of it I had my own chorus but technically the lyrics yeah I guess like cover isn't exactly I know there's like a a rendition a rendition I I never know what to call it either I'm like it's technically a cover because some venues don't allow covers and I'm like well it's technically a cover not I mean okay so I just I don't play it if they don't allow covers but it's a shame yeah it's a wonderful song. I feel like you took like a whole sad pop vibe to it. Yes. I really love. It would be like in the modern version of Grease. And that's exactly what I was going for. Yeah. Also, doing all this research for Olivia Newton-John, I realized I knew nothing about her or not even so much like about her, but like she's had the craziest, most successful career and it was just like scrolling and scrolling and scrolling on her biography pages of all that she's done. I have so many notes. And eventually I was like, you know what? I don't need to mention every single album that she's put out. And so I don't know. I apologize in advance if it just feels like I'm just like listing things. But like there was so much to her career and so much to it that I just did not know about at all. So it was fun for me to learn about it. Mm -hmm. She truly is an icon. Well, anything else we need to touch on? Do we want to do the little part where we talk about what art we... We want to start a new segment or a new series here with More Than Amuse of... Yes. Just talking about the art that we're creating as a way to start out the episode. And like as this continues to grow and if you're a listener who wants to share the art that you're creating, let us know. That would be fun. And we'll we'll share it. So this week you did your... Was it like with the company you're working, like a Disney-themed bottle is that what you mean yeah okay it's a cool series ah. so I did six and then I did three for the other one and then the photo shoot I art directed came out this week I know so I saw you were art directing yeah. a photo shoot that's cool I finally got to post about that so that was cool but mm-hmm. kind of hard in the corporate world where I'm like I'm doing fun stuff well you'll tell you about it next year because <laughs> <You know? laughs> it takes so long to... yeah but I watched some cool movies first off was okay I've had this song stuck in my head all day did you watch the swan princess when you were little yes last night for some odd reason I got the song stuck in my head and I literally couldn't sleep until I watched the movie. So I rented it on Amazon Prime, I, watched the whole thing. I love this. And Good. then I watched it again today. 
And I don't know, it was just like the perfect nostalgia. And I found out that the song, like Far Longer Than Forever, actually mm-hmm. won like the best original song at the Grammys one that year that it came out. Oh. Which I think was very deserving. And the girl who sings Odette's voice also was the voice of Anastasia, which I did oh. not realize. Oh, also, which underrated movie. I right? love Anastasia. Oh my gosh, I love both of those films so much. So that was one thing. That's kind of an old classic that I feel like I needed to bring up. And then the other one I watched is this weird Netflix series. It's called Pieces of Her. Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's actually based on a book written by Karen Slaughter, who I think is like a thriller novelist. And the book came out in 2018. I will say the series was good, but it was kind of confusing because they like try to tell you the backstory only in clips scattered throughout the eight episodes it's like a limited series Mm. each episode is like 45 minutes Mm -hmm. so it was like really confusing (laughs) and I think it was rated pretty low and I think that that's why because everyone Uh, was just like I don't know what's happening interesting that but the story was really interesting and I think I actually want to read the book when I get the chance the Kindle's on Amazon, and it's only like $6, and it's written by a woman. Ah. So I was like, great opportunity to look into a new, like, I think we talked about this with, like, the horror writers. A lot of modern, like, yeah. suspense horror writers are men. So it was fun to, like, find a suspense writer that is a female. Ooh, I like that. For the art that I've been creating this week, I wrote a song called DNR. As in, like, do not resuscitate. Oh, okay, What's yeah. funny is I actually got the idea because kiana who listeners is like childhood best friend she was like Mm -hmm. i've always wanted to try writing a song let's do it together so months ago we got together and really we just like conceptualized the idea of dnr would be a cool thing of you know the old version of me is you love the old version of me but like dnr to the old me because i've changed i'm better now kind of a thing I love that. Yeah. So we kind of conceptualized the idea together. And then I had a write with this girl. Yeah. Within this last week. And then I was like, wait, I have this idea that I came up with my friend months ago. Do you want to write it with me? And then we wrote it. And I'm actually like very stoked on it. So that's so cool. I wrote a song called DNR. Also writing another song that I like that is like more country because I realized that like if I'm going to be here in Nashville playing the writer's rounds, I have to have at least like one song that at least is a little country and maybe has like a deeper theme. I went and played my first technical writer's round. It was a very low-key thing in like a basically empty restaurant, but I feel that was the right way to start my performing in Nashville. Fair. It it feels almost poetic, but the people who performed right before me, the two in their round, it was like, this is a song about addiction and this is a song called Daddy's Gun. And this is another song about alcohol. And this is a song about farmers. And then when I went up there, I was like, this is a song about summer love. And this is another one about feeling awkward at parties. And I was like, you know, not to knock my own songwriting, but like, let me at least have one that I can be like, hey, here's something personal. And I mean, they're all personal. You know what I mean? But like, yeah, there's just an obvious difference in writing style that I was like, I got to have at least my one like, hey, this is kind of country. Hey, guys, I, I I could do it if I needed to. <laughs> no, 
I get what you're saying. So don't feel like you're. It has to be too serious though in order to be good. That's thank you for that. I <laughs> yeah. Afterwards, I was talking to Jordan, my husband. I was like, I don't write serious songs. He's like, just because you're not like talking about the complexities of like religion and addiction but they were really good songs that they wrote and he's like but it's okay uh-huh. and he admitted too he's like i could definitely tell that there's like a difference in writing style you know between what i was doing and what the very traditional country writers were doing and but he's like but that doesn't mean what you're doing is bad like it's okay and i was True. like mm-hmm. you're right but it, it definitely i had a moment of like inner panic because i was like yeah. i'm not a good songwriter and then he's like shut up like it's just a different kind of writing oh, okay you're right exactly. you're right yeah Anyways. like things can still be happy and be good yeah you have to be serious and it's not like i'm like queen of happy songs it just felt a little bit more lighthearted in the comparison of the deep yeah you know country songs sense. well you've been very blessed that you never were addicted to yeah, I mean, I don't have the opportunity. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about something like that that I don't know. But anyways. However, if you want to get deep, you can totally do your Ted Bundy song that you wrote for my project. Honestly, so. I could do that. But like <laughs> at the end of it, I literally was like going through my life of like, oh, my goodness, like I could talk about the fact that I'm adopted in a song or this like what's like a sad real story. But then I was like, I don't really view that as like a sad thing about my life. Like I'm just I'm just going to keep writing my happy pop songs and call it a day. Yeah, totally fair. Anyway, I feel like, yeah, that's really funny. But actually that lost song, I feel like that is a good one for writers round. I didn't true. Play that one it's again. very deep, very dark. It's literally totally about the yeah. victims of serial killers oh you know what else i saw sorry i'm watching way too much tv but i saw a preview for a new movie that's coming out and i'm mm-hmm. actually really excited about it oh what's it called um, let me find it is it don't worry darling because <laughs> no <laughs> i'm uh, at this point i'm excited to see that movie but <laughs> i just want to see more of a behind the scenes True. film about the making of don't worry darling absolutely <laughs> okay so it's a film called colette and it's actually starring Kira knightley Oh, cool, right? It's literally like the writing version of Big Eyes. So it's starring Karen Knightley and Dominic West, and it's basically this lady. She gets married, and then her husband like needs help writing, and so he has her write a book, and it's like semi-autobiographical, and she releases it under his name. And then he like in the preview, he like locks her in the room and is like, "They want another book, like write another one," and like locks it. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh. So anyway, it looks super intense, but it looks like it could be very good. That does sound like it could be good. Hmm. Oh, what the heck? It came out in 2018. Oh. <laughs> Why did I see a preview for it? Well, good news. You can go watch it right now then. <laughs> yeah, I can go watch it. <laughs> That's very odd. I was like, I haven't seen Kira Knightley in anything recently. That's what I was just thinking. I'm like, wow. <laughs> That's cool. I haven't seen her. Yeah. Well, interesting. Well, maybe I'll have to watch that and report back. Let us know if it's any good. Without any further ado, shall we talk about Miss, or I guess we can say Dame Olivia Newton-John, actually. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So Olivia Newton-John, what a legend. She was born September 26, 1948. She was a British, oh wait, her birthday is going to be. Yeah, literally next week. (gasps) Wow. Oh wait. Oh my goodness. If we put this 
episode off by a week, it would have been announced on her birthday. I know, but that would mean we'd have to record. Yeah, a we we don't one have the option to happen. do that. But everyone, her birthday is next week, so yes, yeah, so it's the perfect time to be listening to this. Mm-hmm. So she was a British Australian singer, actress, and activist. For a brief summary, she was a four-time Grammy Award winner whose music career included five number one hits and many other top 10 hits on the Billboard Hot 100 and two number one albums on the Billboard 200. With global sales of more than 100 million records, she is one of the best-selling music artists from the second half of the 20th century to the present. So, Wow, I believe it. Yeah. So brief thing about her early life, and honestly, the most of this is just going to be her career. I did not know how versatile her career was but she was born in cambridge england to brinley newton john and irene helene fun fact her maternal grandfather was a german jewish nobel prize winning physicist named max born wow i know her father was also an m15 officer on the enigma project at bletchy park who took rudolph hess into custody during world war ii so basically her family pretty much fled nazi germany i think i read something that her mom fled nazi germany to england which is crazy that's crazy Mm -hmm. and then after the war he just became a headmaster of a boys high school and was in that post when she was born she was the youngest of three children following her brother hugh who was a medical doctor, and her sister Rona, who was actually an actress, who was married to, actually at one point in her life, was married to a Grease co-star named Jeff Conaway. He's just like one of the, like, is it Thunderbirds? Is that what they are? Like T-Birds? Oh, yeah, the T-Birds. Mm-hmm, one of them. I can't remember cool. his name from the movie, but I don't know if they stayed married, but at one point her sister was married to him, which I thought was interesting. And then in early 1954, when Olivia was five, their family immigrated to Melbourne, Australia. Oh, okay. So she was technically born British, but grew up in Australia. Mm-hmm. So she attended Christ Church Grammar School in the Melbourne suburb of South Yarra. At age 14, I thought this was cute, she formed Soul Four, a short-lived all-girl group with three classmates, and they often performed at a coffee shop that was owned by her brother-in-law. So there is her start. She actually originally wanted to become a veterinarian, but then chose to focus on performance after doubting her ability to pass science exams. In 1964, she actually got her first like recognition as a acting talent because she was portraying Lady Mary Lassenby in her university high school's production of the Admirable Christian. And she became the Young Sons Drama Award Best Schoolgirl Actress Runner-Up. So that's cool. Nice, also, a lot yeah. of the things that I'm going to be saying next are like a lot of like Australian TV shows and awards. So sorry if you're in Australia and I'm like, what's this? And you're like, this is a major iconic culture (laughs) thing. I'm sorry. But after she got this award, she became a regular on local Australian television shows, including Time for Terry, The Happy Show, and she performed as Lovely Livy. She also performed on The Go Show, where she met her future duet partner, singer Pat Carroll, and her future music producer, John Farrar. In 1965, she entered and won a talent contest on the television program Sing, Sing, Sing. 
and performing the songs Anyone Who Had a Heart and Everything's Coming Up Roses. Apparently, she was initially reluctant to use the prize she had won, which was a trip to Great Britain. But then she traveled there nearly a year later after her mother encouraged her to broaden her horizons. So I'm thinking because of this prize that she won, she recorded her first single that was Till Til You Say You'll Be Mine in Britain for Decca Records in 1966. Apparently, uh, while she was there, she missed her then boyfriend with whom she had actually co-starred on an Australian TV show. And she would repeatedly like book trips back to Australia that her mother would cancel. So... (laughs) Her mom was like, no. I'm guessing her mom did not like the boyfriend. I guess not. If she was like, literally stay in another country across the world rather than come back and visit anyways. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yes. So I guess her outlook, though, changed when Pat Carroll, who was a person she worked with on that TV show, she also moved to the UK. And the two formed a duo called Pat and Olivia, and they would tour nightclubs in Europe. Apparently, there was like one situation where they were booked at Paul Raymond's review in Soho, but they were unaware that it was a strip club until they began to perform on stage dressed, you know, in frilly high collar dresses. And then they were like, oh, we're at a strip club. I don't know how that story (laughs) ended, but (laughs) anyways, I thought that was funny. That's Um, really funny. But during this time, she and Carol contributed background vocals to recordings by a lot of artists. And then after Carol's visa expired, it forced her to go back to Australia. She remained in Britain to pursue solo work until 1975. So she's just working as a singer, you know, whether it was performing in nightclubs or, you know, doing session work for background vocals for other artists. So she was actually recruited for the group Tomorrow, but like T-O-O, Morrow, formed by an American producer, Don Kirshner. In 1970, the group starred in a science fiction musical film, so called Tomorrow, and they recorded an accompanying soundtrack album on RCA Records, both named after the group. That same year, though, the group made two single recordings, You're My Baby Now, Going Back, and I Can Never Live Without You, but neither track became a chart success, so the entire project failed and the group disbanded. I think they were trying to do, I don't know if it was like a group or a musical or something. They were hoping to eventually become a movie. I'm not exactly sure, but it did not do well. So it did a part. Then, though, with a record deal, she released her very first solo album called If Not For You. But in the UK, the album was known as just Olivia Newton-John. This is going to be another. I'm just very intrigued by how Olivia Newton-John's albums worked because For one thing, it's very often that like the U.S. and Britain and Australia, they'll have different names or like randomly the U.S. and Australia name is the same, but the Britain one's different. So if you get confused, I'm so sorry. I'm trying my best to keep this (laughs) straight. The other thing that I find interesting is a lot of like her songs were just cover songs like on her albums. So for example, the title track was a song written by Bob Dylan, but it was just her singing it. And I went through her discography today on Spotify and one of her albums, the opening track is Jolene. Like it seems that she's doing a lot of cover songs rather than like original stuff. I don't know if there was like original stuff intermixed with the covers. I'm wondering if that was normal or if this was just like a unique thing that she was doing. I'm not Mm -hmm. sure. So her first, you know, single was that and was actually an international hit in the U.S., hit number 25 and then number one in adult contemporary. 
Her follow-up single, though, Banks of the Ohio, was a top 10 hit in the UK and Australia, which is an interesting thing to me that I was like, okay, she's an Australian living in Great Britain singing a song called Banks of the Ohio. About Ohio. Yes. But here's the thing is she becomes a country singer, which I did not know that she did country music. So a country singer. Yeah. Olivia Newton-John. Yeah. Okay. And okay. I'll just explain it because as I was reading through it, I almost didn't even realize. And then I kept realizing that it kept being like, and this was a country hit. And this was a country hit. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. When did this happen? But if you go back and listen to her first album, yeah, it's definitely folk country, like Americana almost. And I was very surprised. I did not know that this is where she got her start. It was almost like she was doing the whole, you know, Taylor Swift country to pop thing or shania twain yeah before you know but like maybe not just doing original not doing original music so maybe that's why she's not recognized as much as like a crossover artist i don't know (laughs) but that year she was voted best british female vocalist two years in a row actually by the by a magazine and she made frequent appearances on cliff richard's weekly show and starred with him in the telefilm the case so she was doing great 1972 her second UK album, Olivia, was released, but it, but then never really formally issued in the United States, where her career didn't really do so well after If Not For You. So her singles, including The Bank of the Ohio and remakes of George Harrison's What Is Life and John Denver's Take Me Home, Country Roads. So like, what? yeah, just the covers that I would not expect for her to do. They made minimal impact on the Hot 100 in the US, but then her fortune changed with the release of Let Me Be There in 1973. And that song reached the American top 10 on the pop and number seven on country, and then number three for the adult contemporary charts. And actually, crazy enough, earned her a Grammy for Best Country Female and an Academy of Country Music Award for Most Promising Female Vocalist. Right? I I was just so surprised to realize that. Because she's like in Britain, you know, in the UK. But her second American album named Let Me Be There after the hit single was her third in Britain, where her LP is known as Music Makes My Day. So again, like none of these albums are the same, just totally different rollouts in different country. And also it's weird too, because her albums, like the US and Canadian versions featured alternate tracks, lists that mix new cuts with selections from her second album from the UK. So like all of these albums, basically there's not the coherent Taylor Swift eras. Like (laughs) they're just putting out music in weird ways. Because like did our first one only go out in the UK? So maybe when they released one into the United States, they threw on like her yes. best-selling hits from... Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's confusing, but I get why they did it. Yeah. What was crazy though, yeah. 1974, she actually represented the UK in the Eurovision Song Contest. Eurovision? Yeah, she what? was in Eurovision. And with the song Long Live Love, the song was chosen for Newton-John by the British public out of six possible entries... Fun fact, she later admitted that she disliked the song. She actually finished fourth at the contest held in Brighton behind the Swedish winning entry Waterloo by ABBA. Oh, that is not a bad place to be. I know. She did Eurovision the same year that ABBA won, which I love that. Legends. Um, Just all around. uh Uh-huh. Gosh, can you imagine? Sometimes I'm like, if time travel was invented, I would literally only use it to go see concerts. Yes. Can you imagine seeing Eurovision with ABBA and Olivia Newton-John? Right? Like, I just want to go see those performances. I mean, sure, I can look it up on YouTube, but it's not the same. It's not the same. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. And then 
from those like six songs that were like the possible entries from Eurovision, she actually used those songs and they were included on her next album. That was her first for the EMI record label. Oh, but then this is interesting. So then in the US, though, the album, all the Eurovision songs she'd recorded, they were dropped from the album for more country flavored tunes because they wanted to capitalize on the success of her last country album. So it's just like, I don't know. I'm just so confused about how they were like almost purposely making her country. Yeah. Whatever. But she released the album, If You Love Me, Let Me Know. That single actually... And then the single title track, it was released and reached number five on pop and number two on the U.S. country charts, which was the best country position to date. And then the next single, which was I Honestly Love You, became her signature song. It was written and composed by Jeff Berry and Peter Allen. And the ballad became her first pop number one, staying there for two weeks. And then her third top 10 country hit, which was number six. And then that actually got her two more Grammys for record of the year and then best pop vocal performance. So... Nice. I like maybe they weren't as stressed about pinpointing people into one genre at the time. I don't know. But in the United States, her success in country music kind of sparked a debate among country purists because they took Mm -hmm. issue with a foreigner singing country flavored pop music, but then being classed with like the more native Nashville artists. Mm -hmm. Because in addition to her Grammy for Let Me Be There, Newton John was also named, like I mentioned, the Country Music Association Female Vocalist of the Year, making her the first British singer to have ever won the award. And that year she defeated Loretta Lynn, Dolly Parton and Tanya Tucker and she won for best country female vocalist oh my gosh yeah I mean I (laughs) I honestly kind of get that yeah yeah it almost feels like it should be a different category like more like European folk that's what I'm thinking I'm like it doesn't have to be (laughs) country music but I guess that's probably the only market that wants music like that I don't know that's true but interesting what I thought was cool is this protest to her winning this led to the formation of a very short-lived association of country entertainers newton john was eventually supported by the country music community stella parton who was dolly's sister recorded ode to olivia and newton john recorded her 1976 album don't stop believing in nashville tennessee so i'm assuming that because stella parton recorded an ode to olivia song i'm sure that you know dolly was fine with it and so i thought that was cute dolly just being a giant i know know. queen dolly Uh, side (laughs) note have you seen that tiktok where someone walks into the dorm room and like the queen's dead and she was like dolly and she's like no like the literal queen (laughs) i mood she immediately assumed dolly parton (laughs) that's the american queen to be honest very true yes Anyway, so after this time, though, she actually left the UK and moved to the US. She topped the pop and country album charts with her next album, Have You Never Been Mellow? Fun fact, for 45 years, Olivia held the Guinness World Record for the shortest gap, which was 154 days by a female between new number one albums. So it was only 154 days between If You Love Me, Let Me Know and Have You Never Been Mellow. And that was like two number one albums in a row so close together. But then Taylor Swift broke that record in 2020 because there was only 140 days between Folklore and Evermore. I was literally Mm -hmm. just about to search that because I was like, wait, how many days were there? Was that the first time it had been broken since Olivia Mm Newton-John? Taylor Swift broke that record. Yeah. So it took from 1970s to 2020 with Taylor Swift. Olivia Newton-John had that record. So 
the If You Love Me, Let Me Know album generated two singles, which was number one on pop, number three on country, and then number one in adult contemporary. And then Please, Mr. Please, number three pop, number five country, number one adult contemporary. So like her songs are top of the charts. But then she had an album that was, I guess, a bit of a flop. Her next album, Clearly Love. Her streak of five consecutive gold top 10 singles on the Billboard ended when the album's first single stopped number 13. And then her Mm. album still achieved gold in status. And then she returned to the top 10 of the Hot 100 again in 1978. So just so much. Newton John singles continue to top the adult contemporary chart where she amassed 10 number one singles, including a record seven consecutively on the adult contemporary chart, which is crazy. And then she also continued to reach the country top 10 where she tallied seven top 10 singles through 1976, Come On Over, and then six consecutive of a career nine total top 10 albums through 1976, wow. Don't Stop Believing. And then she headlined her first U.S. television special, which was just a special Olivia Newton-John in November of 1976. In 1977, her pop and like all of her success kind of suffered a slight blow. She did an album that was making a good thing better. It was not certified gold and its only single, the title track, did not reach the top 10 on the adult contemporary or the country chart. But then later that year, she released Olivia Newton-John's Greatest Hits and then that became her first platinum album. So I just didn't realize that she had this extensive of a recording career this early because this is all happening before Greece. Yeah, that's crazy. And also like I didn't know she was a country singer. I didn't know she literally won Grammys and the American Country Music Award for, you know, best female vocalist. I was just shocked to hear that. I mean, if you had asked me previously who the first British person or whatever foreigner to end up on a country music yeah I just didn't think of her as a country singer not at all yeah and never would have even crossed my mind Mm -hmm. not even in the slightest I know that's crazy. 1979, she was appointed officer of the Order of the British Empire. And then in the 1979 New Year Honors and Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire. So that was cool. And then was like called Dame, I think, in the 2020 New Year Honors for services to charity, cancer research, and entertainment. So mm-hmm. she's now Dame Olivia Newton-John. We're going to take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists. All right. So today I am spotlighting someone named magic wood creatures and according to the bio it is magical hand-painted recycled wood slices inspired by nature forest soul and owl lover i do not know the artist's name but these are amazing they absolutely she'll often do like owls i don't know if she always does owls or if that's just like a more common trend as i scroll down i'm like also seeing like wolves and things like that but she does these cute little creatures with beautiful skies in the background with colors on like really small pieces of wood she's even done them Mm -hmm. on like earrings and things like that or just even just general illustrations and things she has an etsy shop that's currently closed but definitely go follow because she posts all of this amazing art and yeah it's stunning it's beautiful it and I don't think we've spotlighted anyone stunning. like this. So kind of a new thing to check out. I don't think we have. Yeah, that is amazing. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. So I just found this account on Instagram Discover, which I never loved until we started this podcast. Same. <laughs> now I love it all the time. It looks like she's like a makeup artist, but it's primarily like painting on her face, which is very cool. Ooh. Um, So it's her okay this is hilarious her username is actually 
Microsoft, like Microsoft, oh. but M E I, Microsoft. Get it? <laughs> Very funny. And her name is, I'm guessing you pronounce it, my. Yeah, that makes but sense. My pain. Yeah. Microsoft. Excellent. Ooh. First off, she's absolutely gorgeous. Yes. And second off, these are insane. They really are insane. I cannot really describe. But basically, she just paints on her face these different, like, ideas and, like, compositions and stuff. Some of them are, like, more like flowers and stars and butterflies. And other ones are, like, full-on abstract. Incredible things. It looks like that she was on Canada Drag Race. Oh, really? Uh Uh-huh. I'm, like, scrolling through. Oh, yeah. That's cool. Because I realized, like, she has, like, a million followers, but that makes sense. Oh, yeah. She did, a vi- uh, like, a reel of, like, me recreating my... Oh, she was a guest judge. Ah, cool. I was on wondering. On Canada's Drag Race. Yeah, I was trying to figure it out. Because I was like, she only posted about it briefly. Like, you would think if she was on the show, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, she was a guest judge for Canada Drag Race. That's cool. So, yeah, she definitely is amazing. Definitely. Ooh. That's so cool. All of her reels. Do you see the video she did of like gradient blush? Ooh, how far? It's literally it? so cool. Anyway, check her out. I think it's awesome. All right, now back to the show. So now let's talk about Greece. So, of course, her career soared after she starred in the film adaption of the Broadway musical Grease in 1978. I didn't realize just how successful Grease was when it came out. So originally she was offered the lead role of Sandy after meeting the producer of it at a dinner party. She was obviously kind of skeptical because of her experience with Tomorrow. She was concerned and she was also concerned that she was too old to play a high schooler because she was 28 during the filming of Grease. Oh, really? And I mean, going back and watching that movie, all of those people are obviously in their late 20s. Yeah, I figured they were not high school students. I think there was one person who was like literally in his 30s. So that's fine. I think when I was little, I just assumed that's how old you looked in high school. Nope. But they're little boys still. Something that happened is the film accounted for her Australian accent and changed her originally American character, Sandy Dabrowski, into Sandy Olsen, an Australian who handles holidays in the United States and then moves there with her family. She, I did not even notice an accent in the movie. Was I supposed to? I mean, just the way she talks is like her British-Australian accent because it's just the way Olivia mm, like and John talks. <laughs> ever having an accent i mean she's definitely australian so i believe you i i'm probably just go watch it again you'll really no 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 you'll hear it oh my gosh that's so funny Uh, i was like oh yeah she just learned how to you know use an american accent no she she has an accent and it like because the movie you know portrays her as like this like prim and proper like Oh, yeah, And yeah. I think it partly is because she has, like, the very posh accent. I don't know. That's hilarious. Mm-hmm. I definitely need to see Grease again. <laughs> yes. I mean, I think I might watch it again just for yeah. just for the fun of it. Anyways, so she actually also previewed some of the film's soundtrack during her second American network television special, Olivia, that featured guests like Abba and Andy Gibb. And Yay. it became a huge box office hit 
it became the biggest box office hit of 1978 and the soundtrack album spent 12 non-consecutive weeks at number one and yielded three top five singles for newton john the platinum you're the one that i want which hit number one with john travolta hopelessly devoted to you and then summer nights with John Travolta wow. and the film's cast. Summer Nights, fun fact, was from the original play written by Jim Jacobs and Warren Casey, but the former two songs were written and composed by her longtime music producer, John Farrer, specifically for the film. Didn't know that. She became the huh. second woman after Linda Ronstadt to have two singles, Hopelessly Devoted to You and Summer Nights, in the Billboard Top 5 simultaneously. And her performance earned her a People's Choice Award for Favorite Film Actress. She was nominated for a Golden Globe as Best Actress in a Musical. And she performed the Oscar-nominated Hopelessly Devoted to You at the 1979 Academy Awards. Wow. Of course, the popularity of this movie has endured throughout the years. It was re-released for its 20th anniversary in 1998 and ranked as the second highest grossing film behind Titanic in its opening weekend. Wow. I know. I didn't know that. But it's been re-shown many times, once in 2018, and then apparently following her death, AMC announced that they would show the picture in select cinemas over that weekend, which I thought was cool. Um, And also the soundtrack is one of the best selling soundtracks of all time, which makes sense. The plot does not deserve the soundtrack. (laughs) It's an amazing thing. (laughs) About the film, Newton John has said, I think the songs are timeless. They're fun and they have great energy. The 50s feel music has always been popular and it's nostalgic for my generation. And then the young kids are rediscovering it every 10 years or so, it seems. People buying the album was a way for them to remember those feelings of watching the movie and feelings of that time period. I feel very grateful to have been a part of this movie that's still loved so much. So cute i mean it's iconic obviously 1978 also that same year she released her next studio album totally hot which became her first solo top 10 which was number seven album since her album have you never been mellow on the cover she dressed in all leather and kind of capitalized on her character's look that was introduced at the end of greece so I thought that was cool. And it definitely, yeah. all of the songs and all of the singles demonstrated a more aggressive, up-tempo sound and like was straying away from the country sounds of the past, of course. After this too, in 1980, she appeared in her first film since Grease, where she starred with Gene Kelly and Michael Beck in the musical fantasy Xanadu. Have you ever seen Xanadu? No, but I feel like I've heard so much about it. Don't mm-hmm. aren't they on like roller skates? Yeah, they are. Yeah. I saw it when I was probably twelve years old because my dad was like, "You like musicals," and we got it from like Blockbuster. And you know what? I thoroughly enjoyed it as a twelve-year-old. And even now, I'll still get like Xanadu, Xanadu stuck heard in my all head. The music. Mm-hmm. That's just one that I've never seen. The film was a critical failure, though. But the soundtrack uh, was certified double platinum and scored five top 20 singles on the Billboard Hot 100. So I know one of those from the musical was Magic and that hit number one on the pop charts. And Magic was her biggest pop hit to that point and still ranks as one of the biggest adult contemporary hit of her career the film has since kind of become one of those like cult classic films and then was the basis for a broadway show that ran for more than 500 performances beginning in 2007 and was nominated for four tony awards including best musical so the movie was maybe a flop in some aspects but you know 
it had good things came from it at the same time. But then in 1981, she released her most successful studio album, Physical, which. Oh, yes. uh Which obviously strongly reinforced her image change by showcasing a very risque rock oriented or pop oriented material about it she said i just wasn't in the mood for tender ballads i wanted peppy stuff because that's how i'm feeling of the title cut physical she said roger davis was my manager at the time he played it for me and i just knew it was a very catchy song and it spent 10 weeks atop the billboard hot 100 the song was certified platinum and it ultimately ranked as the biggest song of the decade which was crazy the decade? of the decade which like the 80s there's a lot of amazing songs that came out of the 80s and it ranked as the yeah. biggest one in 2008 billboard ranked the song number six among all songs that charted in the 50-year history of the hot 100 so literally like one of the most successful songs of all time according to the yeah. like as long as the billboard charts have been around i thought this was funny though so the lyrics which you know a bit provocative of the physical title track actually prompted two Utah radio stations to ban the single from their playlist, which like, of course. Of course. Uh 2010 Billboard magazine ranked this as the most popular single ever about sex. But then to counter its obviously very suggestive tone, she filmed an exercise-themed video that turned the song into an aerobics anthem and made headbands a fashion accessory outside of the gym. So there you go. Mm-hmm. It's just about exercise. Yeah, it's not about to sex. Chill out. What are you talking about? <laughs> what I thought was cool is she helped pioneer the music video industry by recording a video album for Physical. Uh, I guess she was, yeah, one of the first mm-hmm. to do this. And it featured videos of all the album's tracks and three of her older hits. The video album earned her a fourth Grammy and was aired as an ABC primetime special called Let's Get Physical and became a top 10 Nielsen hit. So I thought that was really cool. Let's bring that trend back. I I want an entire album that's a video. I 100% agree. Uh, About it, she said, like everyone, I've got different sides of my personality. I have my dominant self, my need to be dominated self, the sane Olivia and the crazy Olivia. Playing these different characters gave me a chance to just show strange parts people haven't seen much. So... And then the success of this album led to an international tour and the release of her second hits collection, which was the double platinum Olivia's Greatest Hits volume two, yielded two more top 40 singles. So just like top of her game here. And what I thought was fun is she reteamed with John Travolta in 1983 for the critically and commercially unsuccessful film called Two of a Kind, but it did have a good soundtrack. I didn't know that actually called Twist of Fate. There's a song that hit number five. So apparently the movie Mm. sucked, but the music did okay. Their next couple albums, they didn't necessarily do so well. She took a three-year hiatus following the birth of her daughter, Chloe, in January of 1986. But then she returned to her recording career with her 1988 album, The Rumor. The album was promoted by an HBO special called Olivia Down Under. And the first single, the title track, was actually written and produced by Elton John. So fun things about that apparently the album didn't necessarily do well commercially but like critically people liked it it was praised by critics because it was a little bit more mature than you know Mm -hmm. some of her other things she addressed topics such as aids and the environment and also like you know being a single parent so honestly she kind of just keeps releasing albums like for the rest of her life she does like an album at one point that's like a lullaby album a comeback album which was another greatest hits honestly we could probably talk about all of her albums and have an hour and a half episode didn't she release a christmas one yes too? and at one point she did yeah. a duet album actually pretty recently with john travolta Ooh. i know which and it was like i think it came out in like 2017 it's pretty recent 
So shortly though, after her album Back to Basics, which was like basically her third greatest hits album, which like to be, you know, this far in your career and have three greatest hits albums, that's pretty impressive. She was planning on going on tour again, but shortly after this album's released, she was diagnosed with breast cancer and that forced her to cancel all publicity for the album, including her tour. This is also sad too. It made a note of this, that she received the diagnosis the same weekend that her father passed away. She was able to recover, of course, and she later became a really major advocate for breast cancer research and other health issues. Uh, she was a product spokesperson for LiveKit, which was a breast self-examination product. And then her advocacy for health issues was like this woman was just so like such an advocate. Right. And so many activists is the word I'm trying to find and was involved in so many things even before this. In 1978, she actually canceled a concert tour in Japan to protest the slaughter of dolphins caught in tuna fishing nets. She then rescheduled it when the Japanese government assured her that the practice was being curbed. And her concern for these, quote, beautifully evolved creatures, as she called them, is also expressed in the 1981 self penned piece the promise the dolphin song described as one of the most tender heartfelt vocals of the singer's career she said that the promise from physical i think it was on the physical album was inspired and even channeled by dolphins she met at sea life park in hawaii and attested it was strange the morning after i was in the pools i woke up and the words and melodies were in my head i think it was a gift from them so wow i know she was obviously like a big environmental activist In 1991, she became the national spokesperson for the Colette Chute Environment Fund, which is a children's health environmental coalition following the death of a child of like her really good friend. Her cancer diagnosis also affected the type of music she recorded. She released Gaia, One Woman's Journey, which chronicled her ordeal and was the first album on which she actually wrote all the music and the lyrics her herself. So, you know, it took a long time in her career to finally do it. But this endeavor encouraged her to become more active as a songwriter moving forward. And then in 2008, she raised funds to help build the Olivia Newton-John Cancer and Wellness Center in Melbourne, Australia. Just so many things. She at one point led a three-week walk along the Great Wall of China during April, joined by various celebrities and cancer survivors throughout her trek. And this walk symbolized the steps that cancer patients must take on their road to recovery. I know she was featured in the Uniglobe Entertainment's breast cancer docudrama One a Minute that was released in October of 2010 and then during the same month Blue Rotter Productions released a comic book actually featuring Newton John to coincide with Breast Cancer Awareness Month so you know I think it's really cool that she obviously used the platform she had to talk a lot about like environmental you know things that meant important to her as well as you know the disease that she herself recovered from. And then she just kept releasing so many albums, honestly. Like I said, if I were to touch every single one, we'd go so much. But she continued doing just amazing things in her career. For the 2000 Summer Olympics, she and an old duet partner reteamed for a performance of Dare to Dream during the Parade of Nations at the opening ceremony. And of course, you know, that broadcast ceremony was viewed by at least probably, you know, three billion people. And then in 1998, following a hiatus about 16 years, she resumed touring and in 2000 released a solo CD, which was the One Women's Live Journey, Mm. which was a live album. 2002, she was inducted into the Australia's ARIA Hall of Fame. And then she would continue to act a little bit, just like on different TV shows and things like that. She also had a Glee appearance. In the first season, she recreated her physical video with 
Jane Lynch and the performance was released and peaked at number 89 on the top 100 which I thought was fun wow Uh yeah she was actively touring too from 2012 to 2017 which was crazy I didn't realize she was touring so late in her life 2013 her residency at the Flamingo Las Vegas was postponed due to the death of her elder sister but then she resumed performing doing 45 shows beginning in April of 2014 her Vegas residency was eventually extended beyond that and her summer nights residency finished in December 2016 after 175 shows so she basically did a three-year run in Las Vegas. That is insane. Continuing on in 2015, even she was a guest judge on RuPaul's Drag Race. And then that same year, she scored her first number one single on Billboard's Dance Club Songs charts with You Have to Believe with her daughter, Chloe, and their producer, David Auday. The song was a reimagining of her 1980 single Magic, which she noted was to celebrate both the 35th anniversary of Xanadu and as a dedication to her daughter because she met her dad, Chloe's dad, on the set of Xanadu. So she was like, so without that film, Chloe wouldn't be here. She was the real magic that came out of that film. And the song became the first mother-daughter single to reach number one on the dance charts, which I think is super, super cool. I love that. Mm -hmm. And then in recognition for her work as an entertainer and a philanthropist, she was bestowed Australia's highest honor, which was the Companion of the Order of Australia in June of 2019. And then February of 2020, she made her last public appearance at the Firefight Australia charity event. And like I said, that was her final public performance. So just like what a career. Like I said, I didn't realize that it was so long lasting and I didn't know where she had started. A little bit about her personal life. So she married her longtime partner, actor Matt Latinzi, in December of 1984. The couple had met four years earlier while filming Xanadu, and then they ended up divorcing in 1995. But they apparently the couple remained friends, and their daughter, Chloe Rose, was born in January of 1986. This is kind of a crazy story. So she was with someone a year after her divorce named Patrick McDermott. And the couple dated on and off for nine years, but then he disappeared following a 2005 fishing trip off the California coast. She was in Australia at the time of his appearance and a United States Coast Guard investigation pretty much just said that he was, he must have been lost at sea. But then a friend told investigators that he appeared like sad, though, like not like, you know, a total wreck after their breakup. So I think maybe people thought he just got lost at sea, like maybe out of sadness out of their breakup. I don't know. But then in April of 2010, a private investigator hired by actually an American television program claimed that he was actually alive and had faked his death for life insurance payout. Oh my gosh. But didn't provide any proof beyond that there's beyond their statement just that said they were confident a lot of unproven claims have been made about this in like australian tabloids but people think he's living in mexico so i don't know if that's true interesting (laughs) yes that always confuses me because like how do you get the money if they think that you're dead i know i don't like someone has to be in on it and like right i don't know the details of that but i was very intrigued (laughs) sounds way too complicated for me (laughs) like maybe you just don't have to fake your death i don't know whatever But then in 2008, she married John Easterling, who was the founder and president of the Amazon Herb Company. And then in an Incan spiritual ceremony in Peru, they were married in 2008, which I thought was cool. 
And then, of course, you know, like you mentioned, she did recently pass away in May 2017. It was announced that her breast cancer had returned. She also revealed afterwards that she's actually had three bouts with breast cancer, one in 2013, in addition to her initial 1992 diagnosis. And then with the 2017 reoccurrence, the cancer had actually spread to her bones and had progressed to stage four, which is very sad. And then she died on August 8th, 2022, just a little over a month ago from cancer at her home in Santa Ynez Valley of California at the age of 73. And tributes were paid by John Travolta, Barbara Streisand, and many other celebrities. I saw the, you know, the cute little homage that John Travolta made to Olivia Newton-John. I thought it was very sweet. So it seems like they remained, mm-hmm. you know, good friends throughout the rest of both of their lives, especially considering, you know, they literally did a 2017 duet album. Yeah. You know, not that long ago. So I, I thought that was cool. No, that's amazing. That's crazy. I don't know why I just assumed that she passed away from old age. Like, I didn't even know that she'd been struggling. Yeah, her cancer cancer. has been back. But I think it's crazy that it came back in 2017. You know, like, she still was, like, that's five years that she was doing that. three bouts Mm -hmm. of breast cancer. That sucks. I know. Like, that really, truly. She, She really seems like a lovely, lovely woman. Beyond, obviously, what she did with her musical career. Like, what an amazing activist gave back and started a whole cancer research center in Australia where she was from. Like, it's obvious that, you know, she gave back in the areas, obviously, like country, like her home, but then also specifically in all that she had personal experiences with. And she was a country singer. Gotcha. Which is insane. I know. So, yeah, so much about Olivia Newton-John. Like, I almost felt bad that I didn't know how successful she really was. I honestly (laughs) just kind of thought she did Grease and Physical, but even all before that and then all after it, there was just so much. And she was continuously doing work until, like, you know, even 2020. That was two years ago when she was in the midst of her stage four cancer is she still doing things. And today I just went on, you know, just Olivia Newton-John on Spotify and like I said there is just album on album on album that she has recorded and yeah it's amazing if you want to go listen to it I feel inspired I need to go back and just listen just to the physical album I know because I mean what it's literally the biggest song of the 80s which is insane yeah like seriously what an 80s icon Mm -hmm. for real I was just scrolling through her Instagram they did like an anniversary edition release oh yeah okay a physical in like June yeah Yeah, and they had a bunch of stuff posted for that and everything. It's like, yeah, truly like an 80s, like the song of the 80s. That's just yeah, insane. And like also so many albums so late in her life. It's not like she was like, oh, I'm too old for this. No. In 2015, actually, there's an album called Two Strong Hearts that was Olivia Newton-John like five years ago. That's crazy. Gosh, these people work too hard. If I was that successful, I'd be like, okay, I'm done. I love it. That's amazing. So yes, go and listen to Olivia Newton-John to celebrate. Go watch Grease. It's a it's a classic. Yeah. I mean, it's a staple of American culture, I guess. Even though, even though I have my calms with it, whatever. I have a hot take. Oh, what is your hot take? I realized the other day I was watching High School Musical 2 with my brother and his fiance. Yes. Because we are adults. Hey, I've recently um, (laughs) watched it as well. And I realized that it kind of has the same thing that Grease has where the 
like lesson it teaches you is that it matters more what your friends think yeah than like your success for the future because it's like okay whatever troy was like not making his dates with gabriella <laughs> and he had to like hang out with sharpay but he was gonna get like a full ride basketball scholarship to sing with her all literally all he had to do was sing was with sharpay sing and they all took that as the ultimate sign of betrayal i know and it was at a talent show at her parents country club in the middle of freaking nowhere it wouldn't affect anything and yet he would have gotten a scholarship from it and literally he gives this whole speech and at the end he's like it matters more what my friends think about me no it literally does not (laughs) yeah and i was like that is the stupidest thing ever like he just threw away a scholarship for like for nothing i was like so pissed at his friends i was like can you imagine being like oh you're getting a full ride like how dare you? Why don't you blow that off and come swimming with your girlfriend and hang out with your friends? Also, like, the <laughs> fact that the whole... I mean, okay, obviously the series had to end with, like, a, I almost said Olivia. <laughs> Thinking of Olivia Rodrigo. <laughs> no, 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 the original. With Gabrielle and Troy being together. But, like, you know, Troy, you changed your whole college plans to go be closer to a girl. Like, that's pretty lame. You don't need to do that. It's very dumb. It's like, it is a high school relationship, friends. Yeah. Which, you know, at the time, <sighs> maybe I blame High School Musical for the way I romanticized my high school relationship. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, my gosh. But I literally, I could not st- stop thinking about Greece either because I was like, I mean, oh High School gosh, Musical is just Greece, basically. Yeah. I think much. they actually, I heard that they almost named High School Musical like Greece 2 or something like that. Like they almost put Greece oh. in the title because if you realize it's, it's the exact same plot. True. More very, or less. Very true. I mean, High School Musical has a little bit more of a solid plot, but it's, you know, new girl moves in. Her friends are weird about it. They're both from different worlds. Like, it's it's Greece. You're right. Um, He's with the cool guys. Have you seen the YouTube video, Sharpay did nothing wrong? I think so. I've watched a lot of things like that, and I completely agree. And it's hilarious. I love. She did absolutely nothing wrong. Like, and I saw this one thing of like, I would be bugged if the two new kids who have not invested a single thing in the drama department came and took the leads. And I was like, yeah, I would have been pissed <laughs> as a post theater kid in my life. Very, very true. Yeah. No, I agree. Sharpay was not the villain. They just wanted someone to blame for conflict. Yep. She was a plot device. And she deserved so more. So anti-feminist. I know. She did. Yes. I'm glad that we ended this episode with High School Musical. It feels right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I just couldn't stop thinking about the fact that Grace and High School Musical are very, very weirdly connected in yes. their theme that they teach children to, that it matters more what your friends think of you than your than future. Your future. Yep. No, no, no. And that's wrong. No, I do not second that message. But I do love yeah. Olivia Newton-John and she was amazing in that movie. So, you know. Yes. Agreed. Well, that's so funny. thank you everyone for listening today. I hope you come back next week for more. Ooh, we've got a fun one We have one a next very week. fun next one next week. So. So yeah, definitely tune in for that. And don't forget to rate and review and subscribe. Follow along on Instagram at morethanmuse.podcast. Mm-hmm. And we'll be back next week. Yeah. We'll be back. See ya. Bye.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.